Hello, and welcome to Raven Mad, a Signet and Swan adaptation of the poetry and prose of legendary Gothic writer Edgar Allan Poe. What ails the fading Usher family? Can art, music, and books draw off the melancholy they suffer, or is the madness all-consuming? Find out in episode two of The Fall of the House of Usher. When a door closed upon the retreating figure of Madeline Usher, my glance sought instinctively the countenance of the brother. But he had buried his face in his hands. The disease of the Lady Madeline had long baffled the skill of her physicians, the unusual diagnosis being that... Hmm. She suffers a settled apathy, a gradual wasting away of her person, and frequent, although transient, affections of a partially cataleptical character. She has most steadily borne up against the pressure of this terrible malady, and had not yielded to bed rest. On the evening of your arrival, my dear friend, well, it was then that she truly began to succumb to the prostrating power of the Destroyer. I learned that the glimpse I had obtained of her person might thus be one of the last I should obtain that the lady should scarcely be seen by me for the duration of my stay, at least whilst she still lived. For several days thereafter, her name was unmentioned by either Usher or myself. During this period, I was busied in earnest endeavours to alleviate the melancholy of my friend. We painted and read together, or I listened as if in a dream to the wild improvisations of his speaking guitar. And though this intimacy admitted me into the recesses of his spirit, the more bitterly did I perceive the futility of my endeavours. In vain were all my attempts to cheer a mind from which darkness poured forth upon all objects of the moral and physical universe. I shall ever bear a memory of the many solemn hours I spent alone with the master of the House of Usher. Yet I should fail in any attempt to convey an idea of the exact nature of the studies in which he involved me. An excited and highly distempered ideality through a hellish luster over all. His long improvised laments will ring forever in my ears. Among other things, I recall painfully a certain singular perversion and amplification of the wild air of the last waltz of von Weber, from the paintings over which his elaborate fancy brooded, and which grew, touch by touch, into vaguenesses at which I shuddered the more thrillingly. From these paintings, vivid as their images now are before me, I would in vain endeavour to adduce more than a small portion which should lie within the compass of merely written words. By the utter simplicity of his designs, he arrested and overawed attention. If ever mortal painted an idea, that mortal was Roderick Usher. For me, at least, in the circumstances then surrounding me, there arose out of the pure abstractions which the hypochondriac contrived to throw upon his canvas. 
His creations inspired an intensity of intolerable awe, no shadow of which I had ever felt. In even the contemplation of the nightmarish reveries of Fuseli, one of the phantasmagoric conceptions of my friend may be shadowed forth, although feebly, in words. A small picture presented the interior of an immensely long and rectangular vault or tunnel, with low walls, smooth and white. Certain accessory points of the design served to convey the idea that this excavation lay far below the surface of the earth. No outlet was observed in any portion of its vast extent, and no torch or other artificial source of light was discernible. And yet, a flood of intense rays rolled throughout and bathed the whole in a ghastly and inappropriate splendor. My friend's morbid condition of the auditory nerve rendered all music intolerable to him, with the exception of certain effects of stringed instruments. It was, perhaps, the narrow limits to which he thus confined himself upon the guitar, and which gave birth, in great measure, to the fantastic character of his performances. But the fervid facility of his impromptus could not be so accounted for. His performances were indeed some of the few moments which resulted in an observable measure of mental collectedness and concentration. His highest artificial excitement was born from one of his wilder fantasias, when his sister, wraith-like and of the palest complexion, entered the room to accompany him. The words of her rhapsody I easily remembered. I was the more forcibly impressed with it, as she recited the poetic words, because in the mystic current of its meaning, I perceived a full consciousness on the part of my friend. Roderick's eyes brightened, and reason seemed to hold him once again. The verses, which were entitled The Haunted Palace, ran very nearly, if not accurately, thus. In the greenest of our valleys, by good angels tenanted, once a fair and stately palace, radiant palace, reared its head. In the monarch thought's dominion, it stood there. Never seraph spread opinion over fabric half so fair. Banners yellow, glorious, golden, on its roof did float and flow. This, all this, was in the olden time, long ago. And every gentle air that dallied in that sweet day, along the ramparts plumed and pallid, a winged odor went away. Wanderers in that happy valley Through two luminous windows saw Spirits moving musically To a lute's well-tuned lore Round about a throne where sitting 
Porphyrogen In state his glory well befitting The ruler of the realm was seen And all with pearl and ruby glowing Was the fair palace door Through which came flowing, flowing, flowing And sparkling evermore A troop of echoes who sweetly surpassing beauty the wit and wisdom of their king but evil things in robes of sorrow assailed the monarch's high estate ah let us mourn for never morrow shall dawn upon him desolate and round about his home the glory that blushed and bloomed is but a dim remembered story of the old time entombed and travellers now within that valley through the red litten windows see vast forms that move fantastically to a discordant melody while like a ghastly rapid river through the pale door a hideous throng rush out forever and laugh but smile no more. As the final words died on her lips, Madeline left the room as silently as she had entered, and it was many minutes before Roderick or I could resume any conversation. <clears throat> After a time, I remember that suggestions arising from this ballad led us into a train of thought, wherein there became manifest an opinion of Usher's to which he held with such pertinacity, I knew that it was no mere novelty to him. This opinion was that of the sentience of all inanimate things. But in his disordered fancy, the idea assumed a more daring character and trespassed upon the kingdom of inorganization. I lack the words to express the full extent or the earnest abandon of his persuasion. The belief, however, was connected with the grey stones of the home of his forefathers. The conditions of the sentience had been here, I imagine, fulfilled in the method of collocation of these stones. This is to say, in the order of their arrangement, as well as in that of the many fungi which overspreads them, of the uh, decayed trees which stand all around, and above all, in the long, undisturbed, still waters of the tarn. The evidence of the sentience was to be seen in the gradual, yet certain condensation of an atmosphere of their own about the waters uh, and the walls. The result was discoverable in that silent yet terrible influence which for centuries had moulded the destinies of my family and which makes me what I now am. Such opinions need no comment, and I could make none. Roderick's books were, as might be supposed, in strict keeping with this character of phantasm. 
They were such books which, for years, had formed no small portion of the mental existence of the invalid. We poured together over such works as the Verveille Chartreuse of Gresset, the Belfagor of Machiavelli. Ooh, the Heaven and Hell of Swedenborg. Ah, the subterranean voyage of Nicholas Klim by Holberg. The chiromancy of Robert Flood, of Jean de Nagine. And of Della Chambre. The journey into the blue distance of Teak and the city of the sun of Campanella. One favorite volume was a small octavo edition of the Directorium Inquisitorum by the Dominican Imeric de Giron. And over these passages, Asher would sit dreaming for hours. His chief delight, however, was found in the perusal of an exceedingly rare and curious book in Quarto Gothic, the manual of a forgotten church, The Vigils for the Dead. I could not help thinking of the wild ritual of this work and of its probable influence upon the hypochondriac when one evening he informed me abruptly, The Lady Madeline is with us no more. My dear friend, my deepest condolences. I intend to preserve her corpse for a fortnight prior to its final interment in one of the vaults within the main walls of this building. The worldly reason, however, given for this singular course of action was one which I did not feel at liberty to dispute. I have been led to this resolution by consideration of the unusual character of the malady of the dear Madeline. There have been certain obtrusive and eager inquiries on the part of her medical men, and of the remote and exposed situation of the burial ground of the family. I will not deny that when I recollected the sinister countenance of the physician whom I met upon the staircase on the day of my arrival at the house, I had no desire to oppose this. It had the appearance of a harmless and by no means an unnatural precaution. At the request of Usher, I personally aided him in the arrangements for the temporary entombment. The body having been encoffined, we too alone bore it to its rest. The vault in which we placed it was small, damp and entirely without means of admission for light, lying at great depth immediately beneath that portion of the building in which was my own sleeping apartment. It had been used in remote feudal times for the worst purposes of a dungeon keep, and in later days as a place of deposit for some highly combustible substance, and the whole interior of a long archway through which we reached it were carefully sheathed with copper. The door of massive iron had been similarly protected. Its immense weight caused an unusually sharp grating sound as it moved upon its hinges. Having deposited our mournful burden upon trestles within this region of horror, we partially turned aside the yet unscrewed lid of the coffin and looked upon the face of the tenant. A striking similitude between the brother and sister now first arrested my attention. And Usher, divining perhaps my thoughts, murmured out, Madeline and I were twins, and sympathies of an intelligible nature 
always existed between us. It is difficult to explain. Our glances, however, rested not long upon the dead, for we could not regard her unawed. The disease which had thus entombed the lady in the maturity of youth had left the mockery of a faint blush upon the bosom and the face, and that suspiciously lingering smile upon the lip, which is so terrible in death. We replaced and screwed down the lid, and having secured the door of iron, made our way into the scarcely less gloomy apartments of the upper portion of the house. And now, some days of bitter grief having elapsed, an observable change came over the features of the mental disorder of my friend. His ordinary manner had vanished. His ordinary occupations were neglected or forgotten. He roamed from chamber to chamber with hurried, unequal, and objectless step. The pallor of his countenance had assumed, if possible, a more ghastly hue. But the luminousness of his eye had utterly gone out. The once occasional huskiness of his tone was heard no more, and a tremulous quaver, as if of extreme terror, habitually characterized his utterance. I simply cannot reconcile it. She is gone. I had not thought it would have ever occurred so much as she... was she a part of my life. There were times, indeed, when I thought his unceasingly agitated mind was laboring with some oppressive secret, some hidden revelation which he struggled for the necessary courage to divulge. At times, I was obliged to consider whether he had fallen into the descent of madness, for I beheld him gazing upon vacancy for long hours in an attitude of the profoundest attention, as if listening to some imaginary sound. It was no wonder that his condition terrified me, that it infected me. I felt creeping upon me, by slow yet certain degrees, the wild influences of his own fantastic yet impressive superstitions. It was upon retiring to bed in the late night of the seventh or eighth day after the placing of the Lady Madeline within the crypt that I experienced the full power of such feelings. Sleep came not near my couch while the hours waned and waned away. I struggled to reason off the nervousness which held dominion over me. I endeavored to believe that much, if not all, of what I felt was due to the bewildering influence of the gloomy furniture of the room, of the dark and tattered draperies which, tortured into motion by the breath of a rising tempest, swayed fitfully to and fro upon the walls, and rustled uneasily about the decorations of the bed. But my efforts were fruitless. An irrepressible tremor pervaded my spirit, and at length there sat upon my very heart an incubus of utterly causeless alarm. 
Shaking this off with a gasp and a struggle, I uplifted myself upon the pillows. I know not why, except that an instinctive spirit prompted me, peering earnestly within the intense darkness of the chamber. I hearkened to certain low and indefinite sounds which came through the pauses of the storm at long intervals. I felt that I should sleep no more during the night. Overpowered by an intense sentiment of horror, unaccountable yet unendurable, I threw on my clothes with haste and endeavored to arouse myself from my pitiable condition, began pacing rapidly to and fro through the apartment. I had taken but few turns in this manner when a light step on an adjoining staircase arrested my attention. I presently recognized it as that of Usher. In an instant afterward, he rapped with a gentle touch at my door and entered, bearing a lamp. His countenance was, as usual, cadaverously wan, but moreover there was a species of mad hilarity in his eyes, and evidently restrained hysteria in his whole demeanor. His air appalled me, but anything was preferable to the solitude which I had so long endured, and I even welcomed his presence as a relief. And you, have, and you have not seen it. You have not then seen it. But stay. You shall. Thank you for joining us for an episode of Raven Mad, a Signet and Swan production. The Fall of the House of Usher was originally written by Edgar Allan Poe. This adaptation was directed by me, Olivia French, edited by Jacob Thompson, and script adaptations by Alexandra Mirbach and Olivia French. This episode was narrated by Jack Emond and features the voices of Jagaraj as Roderick Usher, Marley Vanderbale as Madeline Usher, and Barry Kay as the physician. Raven Mad is proudly supported by the Ballarat Arts Foundation as the grateful recipient of the 2021 Jack Anderson Film Award grant. You can support us too by rating, reviewing, and subscribing on your favourite podcast platform. And check out our YouTube channel for short film adaptations. Signet and Swan wish to acknowledge the Wadarung people of the Kulin Nations, the traditional owners of the land upon which our podcast was produced and where stories have been told for tens of thousands of years. Always was, always will be Aboriginal land. <laughs>